everybody, Todd Conklin. This is part two of the Edgar Schein uh, interview that we did with the Chevron folks. Um, and if you've not listened to part one, probably it's worth your time going back and listening to last week's podcast, part one of this, because that'll sort of fill in the blank. We're definitely going to start halfway through. There's no question about that. Um, and it might be worth your while. I don't know if you like the part one well enough. It might be worth your while to actually zoom back in there and uh, and re-listen to part one so you can combine into part two. It's pretty good. He's going to bring things kind of home. Um, he's definitely got some strong feelings about how you embed sustainability into a culture. And that's never more true in his opinion. I'd have to agree with him on this as well as in the safety side of the house. So it's it's completely worth your time to dig into this one. I'm not going to talk more because I haven't even started. This isn't even the official podcast. This is like gravy bonus instructional part of the crappy part of the podcast that's coming up. So sit back and relax. This is Shine Part 2, 2019, and, and see what you think. Listen to Part 1 if you have it. Everybody, hi, Todd Conklin, Pre-Accident Investigation Podcast. This is the podcast, babies, it's happening. And uh, by now you know that my seasonal activity uh, that I look forward to the most in September, and there's tons of good stuff in September. I'm not anti-September by any stretch of the imagination. But I go to the Winfield Bluegrass Festival, and I hope I see you there. You should come. You're welcome. And I, I rent a golf cart because they rent golf carts for the weekend, which is my fantasy. And I drive around and look at stuff and go to the outdoor stages. There's all these there's all these stages inside the the festival grounds, which are really cool and super interesting and super fun. And then there are all these um, there are all these stages out in the campground areas, which are super duper cool and super really fun. So it's like the it's like the festival stage. I don't know times a hundred. Uh, and it's really interesting. And that's kind of what you use the golf cart all night long because those stages start at, they really do start at like midnight. It's its a young man's game, guys. It is a young man's, and I'm no longer a young man, but I still kind of gut it out for this weekend. So that's going on, and that's really exciting. But that isn't really the excitement for today. Today is the conclusion of the, of the Shine podcast. That I think you will L-U-V love because um, – Dr. Shine's going to take it home for us. And I think you'll find it really interesting. I know you'll find it really interesting where he takes everything. And he spends quite a bit of time talking about some of the nuances around culture that he's most famous for, the organizational culture, the humble inquiry, uh, humble leadership stuff, which is always amazing. But he really gets into more so than I've ever heard him. And I've been with him a lot, you guys, a bunch, a bunch, more so talking about the notion of embedding culture uh, sorry, embedding things into culture or how things are embedded into culture. Maybe that's a better way to say that. And um, and I think you'll find this to be, um, it's a really good conclusion. I want to thank Dr. Shine and Peter as well for all the help. I want to thank Shahika and, and the gang um, for setting this all up. And I want to thank you for listening. Please listen, tell your friends, get as many people as we can. It looks like... Uh, there's kind of going to be a big announcement pretty soon about the podcast that's coming up. I'm pretty excited about it. I'm not going to say it yet because we got plenty for today, but I think you're going to find uh, the next announcement to be rather interesting. I know you're going to find it to be rather interesting. 
But until then, let's finish up with part two of Edgar Shine. This is Edgar Shine, uh, 2019, on the Pre-Accident Podcast. Sit back and listen. He's going to kind of conclude his thoughts. In the original book on culture, people kept asking me how how I I'm uh, starting a new company. Uh, how do I embed my values, my what what I want the culture of my company to be? What do I have to do? And so I put into that book whatever everything I knew about. Uh, how executives manage to embed stuff and made a list. And I learned later that that list was one of the most commonly read parts of the book. So I thought, well, if, if that's what managers like to read about, maybe I should pull it out. And it's a way, it's a kind of an answer to your question. How... You're the leader now. You buy into level a level two culture. You're going to do this throughout. What do you have to do to get there? And so I listed what are there 12 different things I could think of that organizations do to send a message and put them in a rank order. And this was my rank order, and you may disagree with it, but the most important thing that that middle manager has to do if he wants a new relationship with the subordinate is to pay attention, measure, and control that subordinate's behavior on a regular basis. So that would mean that middle manager, the next time uh, an electrical worker calls a timeout, he says, great. Tell me more. Next time you see one, let me know. I'm paying attention. I want to hear about it. That is often missing in the boss. Interest, curiosity, attention. I see middle managers, you know, behind their desk, being polite and listening, but showing no particular interest and hey, that was cool that you saw that. That's what we need in this company is, is that awareness. And we, we preach it another level, situational awareness. But does the manager reward the direct report when he sees or she sees a piece of situational awareness? Or do we count on the various other mechanisms here that are all important but not nearly as important as number one, that subordinate will pay very close attention <clears throat> to how the boss reacts when I've made a mistake. Will he blame me, subtly or otherwise, or will he reward me for reporting it <clears throat> and saying, let's see if we can turn that into a learning moment. The greatest example I saw of that was in Digital Equipment Corporation, when they finally produced not a desktop computer totally, but a, uh, the, the, the hard core of the computer was portable, and a student took it home one night 
and it was stolen, went back to Ken Olson, the founder, and said, boss, I think you're going to want to fire me because I took the computer home and it was stolen. And Ken Olson thought about that for a minute and said, you know, instead of feeling bad about that, why don't we say <clears throat> DEC is the first company in history that produced a computer small enough to steal? <laughs> <laughs> now that's paying attention. <laughs> that's being curious. <laughs> Rather than punitive, oh, too bad. <clears throat> so this point one, <clears throat> which I'll elaborate, maybe we give you the other handout too. Let's, where we make a distinction between formal rewards, which is raises, promotions, better job, uh, giving leave time or so on, and saying that, look, organizations are socio-technical systems. <clears throat> There's always the relational relationship part <clears throat> and the technical part. And our reward system tend to be way too skewed on the performance and the technical stuff. And if you thought that the social was important and you wanted to build a relationship with the other members of the team, we love to talk about the team, but we don't really make it a team, you would then see that you could differentiate the kinds of rewards and the way in which you pay attention. So we listed here the economic rewards that are usually associated with what we call the reward system. Task, communi <clears throat> task communication, uh, acknowledgement of role performance, recognition of the role, uh, a lot of stuff on feedback, listening for task content, and pretty much because of psychological distance, ignoring the feelings and the personal content, that employee might be saying, I made a mistake and it scared the hell out of me. And the boss can either say, <clears throat> tell me about the mistake, or the boss could say, why were you scared? What scared you? We always have a choice of paying attention to the feeling and not just the content. So the second list <clears throat> is the new stuff. I guess the way Peter and I are feeling these days is, why don't we teach managers this second list? They already know pretty well how to do the first list. But do they know... Well, or, or AI will take care of the first list. <laughs> yeah. You know, automation will take care of all that stuff. That gets baked in. But we almost consider the second list to be extra or irrelevant or too touchy-feely. Uh, it, it's not something we're trained to really think about and do. <clears throat> so we do get interested in inquiry, as Shanna was telling us. But how interested do we get in appreciation, in affirmation, in listening to feelings? And that often can only be done by revealing our own feelings. 
maybe we should tell a, a teammate or a direct report the last time you were scared because of something was going on in the company. Instead of I'm, I'm always perfect and, you know, I want you to tell me your imperfect feelings, but don't expect me to reveal my imperfect feelings that I screwed up. The whole problem of getting people to give near misses is about that. We all wish that people would report near misses, but do we really set up the conditions that would make it easy for them to do that? Because that might be very embarrassing if I tell you what, what I almost did that almost caused the explosion, but I found a way around it or whatever. Um, it would take all these kinds of behaviors on the part of the boss to create that climate. <clears throat> and the, the bottom line is these behaviors have to be bored to executive and executive to the next level and at every level. You can't say, well, let's bring the middle managers together and teach them this stuff. No. It's their own bosses that have to behave this way for the middle managers to get it. And I think that's the hardest message to get across, that the whole system has to work this way. That the program at the top may start it, but if there's a, a, a link that is broken in the chain, if a given manager says, well, that's all very good, but my boss doesn't treat me that way, so I'm not going to treat my people that way, that's the end of the program. The then openness and trust disappears. Sorry. Speaking. Yeah, people want to know that you care. That's a very simple way of saying it. But but you started by saying you know the, the sort of meta problem is compliance. So that you know within somewhere there has to be both. Well, we spoke and before you got here. I spoke of a company where there are a lot of pressure on the board to not only for compliance and following the rules and reporting it. So you have that you have that pressure. And as you pointed out, people see throughout the organization what their leaders are held accountable for. Exactly. So it's the caring part. And then we talk about the case for safety. Why do why do you care about care? So being able to personalize And that's totally in parallel <clears throat> with the engagement problem. The employee feels unengaged because he doesn't think his boss or anybody else cares about him. So again, effectiveness and safety end up merging on this same issue. But one of the things that often <coughs> comes up when we have this conversation is the, is the problem of scale. That... Um, Let's see. So I was going to say Tesla is probably the youngest organization here. Um, I'm sure I'm the youngest here. Probably not the <laughs> smallest. <laughs> probably not the smallest organization here. Though. Um, 
you're the smallest. Okay. Um, but you know, you we could we could talk this through with you know a ten or twenty person startup, and they'd go, yeah, of course. We're all like you know we practically live together. We're working ninety hours a week together. We know each other really well. We are answering each other's you know questions, or or we finish each other's sentences. But then. You know, well, then you, you realize you, you've got some great success in South America. So you build a division there. And then you start diversifying the product line. And before you know it, you've created this big hierarchy. And you need the hierarchy because you have to, you know, you have to organize somehow. But it doesn't mean that you have to leave behind all of these embedded principles that, you know, that the CEO started with when it was 10 people, and it's still there when it's 10,000 people. Um, the, the, you guys know about the, the Google Project Aristotle? That um, they did this big study. Uh, they have a very big internal uh, you know, metrics and diagnostics. Um, it's, it's all focused on people operations, but you know, Google studies everything, and they study it all mathematically. That's just who Google is. But the results that they got from this big study was just really around psychological safety. I think they thought it was going to be, well, they structured their team differently, and they set up their metrics differently, and they set up their, their handoffs differently. The only thing that they could be clear about, having studied all of the performance of these teams, and again, they know how to study operations there. Um, was that there was this theme of psychological safety that that was the characteristics of the mo characteristic of the most successful people? One of the um, challenges, I mean, I think is is authenticity, right? Because if I come to you and I have this, I try to have this conversation with you, but I don't have the authenticity, it's almost as bad as not. It might even be worse. I don't know the page number, but <laughs> that that is absolutely resonant. There's no question that that fake level two is worse than is worse than maybe level minus one. Yeah, I, I would say if, if you have that fake level two, your people you're in engaging with probably prefer level one. Right. Yeah. Yeah, because then you know your you know your lanes, and there's no attempt to to sort of you know move out of them. You know, I, I wouldn't be surprised if some of the people who have experimented with things like holacracy are looking at that and saying that the reason our people aren't engaged isn't because they don't really like the work. It's because they don't have that feeling of and you know openness and trust with the people they're working with. So they create a, a another way of self-managing so that they can coalesce around something that they're excited about but maybe more to the point, around a new team that they know they're going to build openness and trust with, because in their actual role, they don't have that. Here for 15 years, I was in the GE model of Jeff Wells, Jeff ML, Rock and Stack, and so nobody wants to be too open, because I'm trying to get ahead of you, so I'm yeah. not going to them. Yeah. Uh, I just kind of feel in that you're not going to be too open about where we messed up. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I guess the, the question is, for some or kinds of organizations, um, particularly, as we would say, ones that are sort of 
um, intrinsically transactional, like maybe banking and high finance. Um, again, the outputs are transactional. They're not about innovation and creativity and um, or, or social purpose or environmental purpose. Um, they are just about transactions. So maybe in those contexts, that works. That stack model works. You know, the <laughs> yeah. So Amy Edmondson, who talks a lot in Harvard, talks about this notion that in order to create psychological safety, we have to feel psychologically safe, which is exactly what I'm hearing Edgar talk about mm -hmm. as well, is that in order to create openness and honesty, my boss has to create that openness and honesty with me. Right. So where do, where do we start in the organization to defuse these notions? Chicken and egg question. Yeah, that's right. Because right? yeah. you, you won't feel psychologically safe unless you have open honesty and trust. <laughs> I mean, yeah, but now, we, when we constructed this presentation, I became aware that we need to redefine what we think of as the reward system because it is so balanced, so overbalanced on the economic rewards and so much talk about the, the, the second list being touchy-feely and irrelevant because I think authenticity, integrity, all the valuable things that we attribute to great bosses have to do with that second list. How do you get to be authentic? By revealing more about yourself, being consistent, uh, being interested and curious in other people. We've got to take this second list very, very seriously and build it into our reward system. We've got to recognize that the tools that we build around our economic reward system oftentimes do damage to the social psychological Yeah. Yeah. Well, one, one thing that just jumped out, this could be totally wrong, is employee retention. Like, if you have a group that has a lower turnover, that's got to show something typically about a leader. Um, you hope it's more the level two type of leader where they their group stays and grows and I mean is that a measure or that you would use for for determining how yeah. the organization is functioning well I guess looking at like what do you pay attention to um, as a good metric for like, for an analyzing where you're present culture is, yes. It's when you get into the change mode that this list becomes more relevant. You, you might do any of these 12 items for diagnostic purposes, but this list was, okay, you now know where you're going. You want level two, you want more safety, you want more effectiveness. What often happens is people down in are down in the secondary list. They redesign. They uh, create rites and rituals. They so, um, move so we're on the uh, on the exhibit ten one. Well, I I didn't call it that. It's the second handout. It's it's the one that's the list, not the two boxes. Yeah, sorry. So that that list <clears throat> is there to kind of illustrate that a lot of these, what companies do, 
in diagnosing and thinking they're changing is too far down on the list. And what they're missing is that what people really pay attention to is what the boss is paying attention to. We're, we're into lunchtime, but <clears throat> I can't help but add this story because I'm very tuned in with the present. <clears throat> Last night I had a dinner with my granddaughter who teaches the 8th grade in Philadelphia in an inner city school. <clears throat> and everything we've said here is irrelevant. She has 30 languages in the school. In her class of 32 people, there are 15 languages. She has Russians, Uzbeks, uh, people from all sorts of Eastern Europe stuff that we never even hear about out here in California. It's a whole different pattern. And the, the point of the story about getting to know your people, she has to try to get to know her people. And she saw these two kids who she knew couldn't possibly, a kid from Haiti and a, and a kid from uh, Uzbekistan, talking to each other, and she knew neither of them knew English. And she got closer and discovered they were talking in French. They both knew French. <laughs> now, you know, when you begin to think that some of your employees are out of that population, they're not the Silicon Valley upper-middle-class kids, there are a lot of huge, diverse elements coming into the U.S. that, but the same rule applies. You've got to get to know them. You can't second-guess and say the old system is going to work for them. You've got to find out what, what, are, what will make them tell you the truth. What can I do to get everybody to tell the truth? I mean, that's uh, that's ultimately where it all kind of hangs out there. I hope you enjoyed that. This one, I, I left the questions in. I know sometimes they're going to be kind of soft and hard to hear. Um, sorry. Um, I, I It felt like if I was taking the questions out, I was leaving out some of the interaction that was a part of that system. So I wanted to make sure it worked out okay. And I think it did. So I feel okay about it. I hope you do too. I mean, that's that's the whole goal. Is that everybody's happy? I, mostly, what I want to do is get this out, and so you can listen to it. That is my driver for everything. So that's the shine episode one and episode two. Tell me what you think. Pass this one around. Don't be afraid to have other people listen to it. Um, anything we can do, man, just call. I'll get it done for. I'll, I'll do anything I can. Tell your friends. Um, subscribe. Write a review. Rate it smash that like button, whatever the crap you're supposed to say. I don't even know what to say in this thing anymore. Until then, though, thanks for listening to Edgar Shine Part 2. Thanks, Peter. Thank Edgar. Thanks, Shahika. Thanks, Dave. Thanks, everybody. We had a great time, and you got to be a part of it, and that makes it even a million times better. Until then, learn something new every single day. Have as much fun as you possibly can, and for goodness sakes, be safe. Be safe.